This is Levy Meyer representing Compass Florida, and you're listening to the Real Talk Podcast. <laughs> What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Real Talk. Today, I have Greg Hart on the podcast. Greg is the head of product at Compass, but prior to joining, Greg's had a 23-year career at Amazon and most recently led the e-commerce giant's video streaming service. Greg's been at the forefront of Amazon's transformation since 1997. During his tenure, he led the development and launch of their cutting-edge tech of the past 20 years. He began his Amazon career in books, then moved on to product management roles, including the VP of Amazon Video, VP of Amazon Echo and Speech, VP and Technical Advisor to Jeff Bezos, and Director of Video Games and Software. Now at Compass, Greg will be responsible for driving all aspects of our integrated product offering, overseeing the company's growing team of product managers, user researchers, and product marketers. So, Greg, welcome to the Real Talk podcast. Thank you very much, Talk. Really thrilled to be here. <laughs> Thanks for joining. I really appreciate it. Uh, where are you right now? You're in Seattle. I'm in Seattle. Exactly. Okay. Are, are you ever Are you ever going to plan to move back into New York City, or do you plan on working from the your Seattle our Seattle office? Uh, once they allow us to travel again, I'll be splitting time between <laughs> Seattle and New York. Okay, that's great. That's good. I'm assuming throughout your career, you visited New York City uh, many times. I'm assuming. Many, many times. Exactly. Okay. Good, good. Love you. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just to, just to you know, get, get started here, what I want to do is, just for the listeners, I want to do a couple quick hitters. Uh, we call these warm-up questions. We do it with everybody that joins on the podcast. Maybe answer them within a minute each. Where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born in New England and grew up in Seattle. My folks moved out to Seattle when I was uh, six years old. As a six-year-old kid in Seattle, what were you like as a child? uh let's see uh curious uh loved the outdoors spent a lot of time running around the neighborhood uh playing sports uh and you know doing the traditional things that uh you know a a little kid does a little boy does (laughs) right right well speaking of sports do you have a a sports team specifically that you root for Uh, i have a couple actually so when i was a kid it was definitely uh the seattle sonics the supersonics supersonics okay Um, throwback yeah when when the sonics won uh their first and uh, only nba title back in 79 that was a a watershed moment for me as, as a little kid um and actually, right. Kevin Durant ended up living across the street, um, you know, long after I had <laughs> moved out of my parents' house. Uh, but okay. he lived across the street from my parents when he uh, was first drafted by the Sonics. Right. Uh, um, uh, have Seahawks season tickets. So a big oh, Hawks wow. fan. You're a big and then fan. I'm a big fan of, of soccer as well. Um, primarily, actually, uh, European soccer or football. I'm, a, I'm a, uh, an Arsenal fan for 30-plus uh, years. And, uh, and then also of the Sounders here in Seattle. Okay, so you're basically mostly a, a Washington State sports fan. So good for mostly, you. Mostly, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, with the uh, uh, the Seahawks going into the playoffs, you know, wishing you best of luck. And Thank you. Um, I, I am a rival to somewhat of a rival to you. I'm a, a diehard Washington football team fan, and uh, we are in the same NFC division. So uh, I, I have it in my heart that we've lost to the Seahawks uh, every time we've gone to the playoffs somehow in the last <laughs> ten years. It always somehow ends at Seattle. So. Anyway, okay. And then, uh, so what was your first job out of college? My first job out of college was as a writer in advertising. Uh, both oh. did some, some freelance work 
and then uh, also worked for Nordstrom, uh, the you know the fashion department store, in their advertising division. Uh, were you a were you involved in journalism or, or something of English or something of that source? And your uh, yeah, uh, I was an English uh, an English major, uh, and and then also uh, you know was the editor for our college newspaper and worked on my high school newspaper prior to that. Gotcha. Okay, great. Uh, hardest or worst job in your life? Wow. <laughs> Hardest or worst job? I would not, say, and not yeah. probably the one that he spent 23 years at. <laughs> uh, I'll go with actually, I'll, I'll switch the question a little bit and go with the most boring job there you go. of my life, <laughs> okay. uh, which right. made it hard because it was okay. boring. Boring. Was yeah. uh, one summer in college, I had like three or four different jobs. And one of them was working on the Seattle waterfront, which has a bunch of sort of tourist uh, piers. Yeah, where um, the uh, Pike, Place, Pike Place Fish Market is. A little below the, exactly below, below okay. the Pike right, Place yeah. Market. Yeah. And uh, and I worked in Yield Curiosity Shop, which was like uh, meant to recreate like the gold rush times uh, of, <laughs> of the uh, 1800s. And, uh, and that job, you would sort of switch between different shops but there were hardly any people who ever came through some of them. So it was mind-numbingly boring. Just <laughs> <laughs> like So as a tech guy, uh, switching gears, Uber or Lyft? Uber or Lyft. Uh, I use both, actually. I, okay, I will both switch evenly. between the uh, two of them. I, more, okay. more often Uber, but, uh, but, uh, but I'm not uh, loyal to one. Okay, fair market player. Got it. Uh, I haven't checked your uh, handles, but Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I hardly use any of them, actually. Uh, you know what's interesting? So many tech people don't person. use them. So many tech executives don't use social media. Yeah, Our, it's, it's never been a big thing for me. Uh, okay. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I would say between the three, uh, the ones that I use the most, uh, which is still very uh, sparingly, would be Facebook and Instagram. Got it. Okay, interesting. Uh, our, our old CTO at Compass also never had any social media presence at all. So you, know, you just kind of find that interesting. Uh, if, if you were a tourist in Seattle, what, what, what would be the favorite thing you would do? The most favorite thing you would do if, let's just say, you were a tourist or you had uh, friends coming in from out of town? If I had friends coming in from out of town or were a tourist, I would definitely go visit Pike Place Market. Yes. And then I would, because I think it's, it's just a really unique space. It gives you a really good sense of what Seattle is like and you know all these little shops uh obviously the famous flying fish uh, as people throw their their salmon yeah. orders um and then walk from there down to um the waterfront and walk yeah. along the piers uh and go up to the olympic sculpture park which is right on uh elliott bay and has an amazing view of the olympic mountains uh, across right. the sound so a little that, north that would be of that right in seattle yeah yeah okay okay why do they throw the fish in the market what, what, what is that about uh, you know, the, so there's this uh, famous uh, fresh fish uh, stall in the market that's right sort of at the corner yeah, of the market. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, the they, just blow it, they throw it over the ice. And they throw it, exactly. They throw it from one person to the other in, in the shop, and they'll also throw it to you as a customer on the other side. Oh. Um, and uh, I think it just started because it was something that they would do when the fish are big, you know, heavy fish yeah. and they're slippery. And so they, they would do it behind the counter to kind of show off a little bit. And then it just became a thing. And, and, uh, and so now it's expected. Yeah. People always want to see that fish flying through the air. 
Yep. And this is not flying fish. This is like big cuts of salmon and, and tuna and stuff like that, right? Yeah, it's typically like a whole side of uh, of a fish. Like it's yeah. <laughs> it's really unique to Seattle itself. Yep. Uh, okay, uh, a little bit about your past work. Uh, is Alexa really listening to us 24-7 or is that an urban myth? Alexa is listening all the time for one thing and one thing only, and that is the wake word. Uh, okay. And then when Alexa <laughs> hears the wake word, it opens up the pipe to the cloud Got it. and starts streaming whatever you're asking Alexa to do so that so that the cloud-based service can understand and respond to it. Not spying on you 24 hours a day. <laughs> uh, what, what songs, the final question, what songs or artists were used most when you were testing Alexa? <laughs> Uh, that's a great question. Uh, one of the recurring jokes early on in the development of Alexa was songs by Sting. Okay, um, why is that? I don't, uh, you know, I think it's just because one of the engineers, one of the early engineers working on Alexa happened to be a fan of Sting. And so oh, okay. we definitely heard a lot of Sting and, and the police. Um, my right, musical okay. tastes are all over the map. And uh, as we were developing it, and you're trying to fine tune the speech recognition and natural language understanding. Being a, a data-driven tech person, I would create spreadsheets of mm -hmm. artists and song names and album names and just test Alexa repeatedly to see if we got it right. And then if we didn't, I would report it and, uh, okay, we didn't get this right. Like, what's wrong? How do, how do we fix the model? How do we improve it? Uh, so I, I tested Alexa with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of artists and songs and, <laughs> and album names. <laughs> Got it. So it's not necessarily just one. I mean, Sting, obviously, but not necessarily just one artist in particular. Uh, but you have to kind of go all spectrums. Um, uh, very Got to cool. go broad. Yeah, <laughs> got to go broad. Uh, so uh, let, let's start into our main questions here, this main section. We're going to do a little bit more of a deep dive into, uh, you know, what you're doing here at Compass and uh, you know how what you did in the past kind of translates to the present. So, uh, so you know, our, our first question is, you know, not only did you leave Amazon and, and come to Compass, a much smaller company, uh, obviously in its very very early stages still at this point, uh, you started right in the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, I read about you joining us, I think, in April, early April. So you made a move. You made this move from this established company. Uh, during a very ambiguous time, you know, were you nervous at all? And, and, and did you have any support from your family about this? Because it seems like it's a little bit more of a, uh, a risky time to do anything. Even even can't even travel. I'm sure you didn't even see the team in New York City when you uh, decided to join our team. Yeah, it's it certainly was an interesting time to onboard for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I had a, a great support from my wife and from my family in, in doing that. You know, I'd had a fantastic career at Amazon, was very fortunate to have worked on a bunch of different areas. But my wife absolutely encouraged me to uh, to make the jump, just to go do something new. And uh, and Robert, when, when he and I were talking about the opportunity, I really felt like it was a good chance for me to take some of the things that I had learned at Amazon and apply them at a company that was at a much you know earlier stage of its growth and help it along that journey to hopefully achieve you know some measure of the success that, that Amazon achieved over over its lifetime. Uh, you know, obviously Amazon is one of the largest companies in the world now, um, uh, and Compass can be incredibly successful uh, while only achieving you know even a small fraction of that growth. But I'm immensely bullish about the opportunity that we have in front of us here at Compass, and that to me was one of the most exciting reasons to join. 
Um, I still haven't met my team in New York, and so I'm looking forward oh to goodness. doing that. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I yeah. haven't met my team in Seattle, uh, for that matter, either. Uh, oh, but, okay. Uh, okay. So it's been a little bit, uh, you know, bizarre uh, as it has for all of us, adjusting to these last, you know, eight or nine months. Um, but but it's good. I've been really proud of the way that the team has been able to uh, adapt to. COVID and still uh, produce uh, and, and build and create, you know, great technology that helps make our customers, our agents' lives easier. Uh, you know, that yeah. to me is really rewarding to see. And as a, as a product person, that's what you want. You, you want to feel like your product is making a difference um, for the people that you're building it for and that it's uh, help solving pain points for them and helping them grow their business. Uh, and right. so that's been you know, really gratifying to see. When you came to Compass, I mean, did you, before you even signed the dotted line, did you think, okay, what exactly are they building? And did you even, have you ever, heard, did you even hear about us before you even, you know, heard about Compass? Did you know about Compass before you, someone approached you about it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. Compass, both because Compass has, you know, a presence here in, in Seattle. Um, and, and actually, a good friend of ours is a Compass agent. Uh, oh, good. Uh, but also... I had read about Compass in the sort of you know technology press, um, so mm -hmm. I'd seen some of the articles uh, about Compass and, and had some awareness of it. Um, and but I'm me, sure it's hard, isn't it hard to see it from the outside what we're actually building? You know, you, yes. you're coming in as a product manager. You still, you know, what? I guess were you not afraid of the fact that you weren't quite sure what you were getting into in terms of products of what the brokers are using at Compass? People think, oh, we have another. From the outside, they think they hired another tech executive they're building tools to potentially replace brokers or you know make the make the aggregators more powerful uh did you have any knowledge or any insight into that prior to joining well actually in my very first conversation with robert uh one of the things that became very clear to me in that conversation that was that robert had a clear view of who the customer was and that the agent was the customer and that we were right. building for the agent and that resonated actually immensely with me for two reasons. Like one, I came from two companies, Amazon and Nordstrom, who are very customer focused and have built their reputation around being very customer centric yeah. in their businesses. And so that to me is the right way to run a business. And it was very appealing to me. Two, it was interesting to me because, you know, a lot of the, the typical technology play is that you map out a value chain of an industry and then you figure out which part of the value chain you're going to remove and replace with technology. And right. if you think about some of the other companies that have approached the real estate space, their approach has been more similar to that traditional technology approach. And, and so I thought it was actually very interesting and counterintuitive that Compass was focused on actually reinforcing the value yep. of the um, and as I thought about it more and, and through the conversations with Robert, that made a lot of sense to me, uh, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, it's, um, it's not a transaction that as, an, as a client, as an end consumer, you go through that many times in your life. Um, and so you don't get, you know, deep familiarity with it, um, yeah, yeah. unlike a lot of other things. Like you can envision buying something on the Internet if you've bought something from a catalog. And now people are like, a catalog? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, that's how far we've come, right? Uh, two, it's the most expensive transaction you ever go through in your life. So it's really important that you get it right. You can't return it if you don't like it. You can sell it, but you can't return it. You can't take it back. No. Uh, number three, it's a really long, complex process 
you know, as a consumer to go through. You don't understand all the steps. You don't know why all the steps exist. Uh, and so having an expert to help guide you through that is immensely helpful. And then number four, it's the most important transaction you ever go through um, it, because it's emotional, not just because of the financial component to it, but because it's emotional. You know, there's more emotion wrapped up in your house and where you live than in almost anything else that you acquire. And, and so for those reasons, to me, they felt like a really good description of how an expert is absolutely necessary. And if you can make agents, these experts, better at what they do, if you can give them more time to spend with their clients on the things that matter, that to me is incredibly powerful and, and really motivating. Uh, and so those were some of the things that came through in the very first conversation that Robert and I had, and they were really appealing to me uh, because I felt like we could come and do that and, uh, and, and build that type of platform. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I guess this kind of ties into my next question is what has your personal experience been with real estate? I'm sure you've throughout your time in, in, in Washington, you've sold or rented or bought and maybe even built homes yourself. Uh, at what, uh, what has your relationship with real estate been thus far? And have you also worked with brokers in your life? Yes, uh, worked with multiple brokers. Uh, mm -hmm. So I guess over the course of my, uh, my adult life, I have bought uh, five homes and sold four okay. um, and have built one home entirely from the ground up uh, that I'm now living in. And, uh, oh, and I've also That's great. every other home that I've ever owned. Um, and so, <laughs> uh, in some way, shape or form, uh, okay. including remodels where, where we moved out, uh, like for a year. Um, so, uh, so have been a very involved real estate consumer. Let's put it that way. Sure. Um, and right, actually right. The, uh, we appreciate that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> the agent that, uh, that we've worked with for the last couple um, transactions on the buy and sell side is a compass agent. Uh, oh, that's uh, even better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah even better. So, uh -huh. uh, so yeah, real estate is, has always been something I was personally interested in. Um, you know, not from an investment perspective necessarily, although, although that obviously is, has its own uh, interest, particularly in the current market. Um, but, sure. but just as a, you know, it's like where people live and architecture and, and uh, homes have always been something that was uh, important to me and interesting to me. And so it's fun to be able to work in this industry for that reason as well. Is there anything interesting that during those courses of selling, you know, four, four or five, selling and buying four or five homes, what have you learned from brokers? Is there one or two things specifically that you found that was interesting about the brokerage world that you learned yourself personally by working with them? Yeah, a couple of things. Like one, as a, as a consumer, you, there aren't that many uh, in, in the modern world, there aren't that many types of relationships where you are really deeply relying on the expertise of another person who you need to trust anymore. Like, you know, right. it, you think back maybe 50 years, there were probably far more of them. Like yeah, you might sure. have a relationship with, you know, your local bookseller and you trusted their recommendations and things, Definitely. but, you know, increasingly in today's world, you don't have that. And, and I think that agents are incredibly good at what they do about understanding their client, about understanding the local market and, you know, what changes are happening, what trends are happening and about marrying those two. 
like sure. what the client wants and what the market, what's happened in the market, what is happening in the market and how to, you know, find the right diamond in the haystack for their client. You know, if they're trying to buy a home or in the case of somebody who's trying to sell a home, you know, Hey, here's how we can position your home within the market. Um, and, you know, in a market like today's, which is very much a seller's market in, in most areas within the company or the country rather. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, it, it's much easier to do that. Uh, but, yeah. um, but times when it's not that way, um, you know, that expertise makes a massive difference. And even in today's market, it's still really important to be able to find the right potential buyers um, mm -hmm. and, and get them interested in your home. So you can help your client, you know, sell the home uh, at the price they want to accomplish and in uh, as fast a time as possible. Right, right. That's, that, that's exactly right. Yes. In, in, a, in an age of tech, not everything is still listed online per se. So right. having that, having that off market knowledge or the knowledge of, of the neighborhood transfer, uh, the transformation of the neighborhood and, and things like that, that impacts the valuation of your home is, is certainly important. Yeah. Uh, our, so our, yeah. Example of that, like our current home, um, we had been looking for uh, a lot with some specific characteristics for a number of years and our agent, uh, our, our compass agent, Kelly Weisfield, uh, you know, showed us off-market properties during that time. Uh, she took us to many, many open houses. Uh, <laughs> and, and we finally found uh, a property that sort of met our criteria. And, and she was fantastic. Uh, and it was because of her network that, that we found it, actually, because it was right. under contact with another buyer. And oh. she got alerted by the, um, the agent who had been helping that buyer that it was going to fall through. Might, yeah, um, why not? Uh, that enabled us to to sort of uh, you know consummate the transaction. So you know, to what's me, her name again? Let's see. Let's give her a shout out again, Kelly. Kelly Weisfield. Kelly Weisfield. Um, yeah. Okay. That was fantastic. Um, that's go, great. Go yeah, compensate. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, nothing better than having a well connected agent that knows everybody that also is likable and can get uh, the deals through you know their buyers uh, when in doubt when, right. when it comes to the when, it, when the deals on the line. So that's great. Uh, so uh, just switching gears and we're going to pivot to more on the tech side here. Uh, you know, when, what tools did you envision building for brokers before you joined? And has that vision changed six months into you know, joining Compass? It has. So before I joined, oh, I, okay. before I joined, I had a very rudimentary understanding of what we had built for agents uh, for, for a couple of reasons. Like one, you know, as a consumer, you only see the pieces of compass that are sort of like the iceberg that's above the waterline, right? Mm -hmm. where, where most of the platform is cool. actually the below the waterline focus yeah. on agents, not the end consumer piece. And so, you know, I just had less familiarity with it. And, uh, and then also I didn't know, I didn't really know what to expect because I also couldn't compare it to the agent focused uh, capabilities of other brokerages or other tech platforms. Um, okay. since I wasn't an agent and, yeah. uh, but I, you know, I, I think both Robert and, and Joseph and others who I spoke with as I went through the interview process, you know, did a good job of being honest about the things that the platform was good at and its right. areas yeah, sure. for, uh, mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that is really appealing to me about compass and the culture is that people are very, um, very good about. Um, being upfront and honest about, you know, what works well and, you know, hey, we got to improve this. It's not working the way we want it to. Um, and I would say that 
a couple things that became clear to me, uh, you know, after joining one, I think we've built uh, a number of uh, solutions to pieces of an agent's workflow that are powerful. But I think there's an immense amount of further improvement that we can do through better integration of tools and capabilities to better map to an agent's workflow. Do you have an example? Uh, sure. So uh, I'll give an example of something that the team is going to roll out in the next uh, month or so. Sure. Um, when an agent wins a listing, you know, we know they've won the listing. It comes through the MLS feed, the photos get uploaded. But then if an agent wants to go market that listing, which of course they do, they need to go to marketing center and create the marketing pieces that they want to use, the sure. collateral, whether it's a digital ad or a print ad or a postcard mm -hmm. brochure, whatever it might be. Sure. We should be able to uh, both be cognizant of the fact that they've won the listing and the photos are there, and we can auto-generate marketing and present it to the agent. Not, not necessarily that the agent is going to use the auto-generated version off the bat every time, but that it makes it much easier for them to just go tweak a couple things. Sort of in the same way that with like video generator, you can auto-generate a video from the still photos of any listing. And then you can go in and if you want to tweak, you know, some of the wording on it or pick different music, whatever it might be, the photo order, you can do that. And it's very simple. So that to me is an example of sort of anticipating the agent's workflow and the agent's needs to make their life simpler and give them more time to spend with the client. Like it should be, our goal should be that an agent has to spend as little time as possible using any given tool to get the maximum outcome for that tool. Um, and that's a lofty goal, of course, um, but but that's the journey that we're on and we wanna keep making continuous improvement on it. Robert, Robert Refkin, for those listening, um, has always preached even back, you know, six years ago, seven years ago, uh, same thing, you know, agents should not, as much as possible, they should not be working on the quote unquote arts and crafts or the back end of the business. They should be out selling, they should be out meeting people, they should be out uh, pitching. And you're exactly right. You know, if a high volume listing side agent has, let's just say they, they list, let's just say 10 homes a month and that process takes 5% of their day, you know, that the, that that giving giving that lowering that five percent to one percent of their day uh, is is a significant trade off of time, which enables them to focus on their core tasks. So that's certainly a a, a good tool, and and uh, you know more tools like that obviously uh, definitely helps you know not just our clients but also helps our business. Yeah, give yeah. give like more time to spend with their clients and help it help make it easier for agents to win more clients, you know, right. through using, you know, contacts and CRM and action plans and, and making it much easier for them to stay in touch with their right. sphere. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that, that's, I, I've been loving the, the CRM tools as well as of late. Uh, and then, you know, as far as our, obviously we have our own challenges and then as an industry, they have their own challenges. Uh, one of the biggest hot topics right now amongst the big firms, especially in our region, where the larger firms like Element, Corcoran, Brown, Hair, Stevens, and Compass, you know, we all have kind of this different, different, and difficult relationship with aggregators. So, in your view, now that you're six months into Compass, you know, what are your thoughts on aggregators? To you, are they an ally or foe? Ally or foe? And 
what have you learned about them since joining Compass? I think that uh, a couple things. Uh, one, as companies grow and move into different areas, they often have areas uh, of collaboration with other yeah. companies in the space and areas of competition sure. uh, with those same companies. And, and I think that's just natural uh, because you know, companies always have a goal of continuing to grow their business and improve it. And oftentimes that comes through expanding into new spaces that bring them into, you know, quote, conflict with other companies in the space. And so, you know, sort of that concept of cooperation and competition at the same time with the same other company uh, in different spheres is a natural one. I certainly saw that all the time at Amazon. Amazon, and sure. And I think that's true within, within real estate as well. Um, you know, you, you see that actually in many, many transactions where the buying agent and the listing agent are from different brokerages, but they are cooperating to create a transaction for their constantly, clients. Constantly, constantly. So it's, it's at the heart of the industry itself. And I think you see that same thing, um, you know, whether it's with aggregators or other tool users, et cetera. And, and, and you know, we re certainly recognize that there are a lot of things that aggregators provide that are valuable to the end consumer and to uh, and to agents, and and so the way that I think about it is, it's not black and white. You know, it should be very much a well. How do we provide the most value to our agents? And if that entails cooperating with you know a given company in a given way, um, because it's more valuable for the agent for us to do that then great, let's do that. Um, if it means that in a certain space, we shouldn't cooperate with a competitor because we think that uh, it actually would harm our agent's business and make it harder for them either in the short term or the long run, then we should you know, obviously take that into account as well. So I think it's, it's always a bit of a nuanced discussion. I do think it's interesting that you know, a number of aggregators are starting to more directly move into spaces that compete with uh, with brokerages and with agents, you know, through things Corporate, like I like buying. I buying, yes, yeah, um, and and I think that's an interesting trend. Uh, my personal opinion is that uh, I buying is a very challenging space. Uh, it's challenging financially, um, and you know, because you're holding on to an expensive asset and trying to sell it as fast as possible. Uh, and unless you have some sort of you know in, inherent inbuilt pricing knowledge, it's going to be tricky to to make that work. And, and nobody yet has. Yeah. Um, but uh, but you know, if somebody is able to to crack that, I think that it will um, be uh, intriguing to see how they do it. Uh, I also think it'll be something that is applicable to certain segments of the market and less so to others. I certainly mm -hmm. can't imagine selling the home that I live in uh, through uh, an iBuying approach. No chance. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Or buying a house that would be similar to the one that I own uh, through iBuying either, for that matter. Um, you know, we mm -hmm. derive so much value through our relationship with with Kelly, our our agent, that I, I can't ever imagine um, us wanting to step away from that. And I think there are a lot of uh, you know buyers and sellers out there um, who are similar to me. Um, I, I think I buying you know it's seen the most traction in in markets where there's relatively homogenous housing stock, um, right. and uh, and as uh, housing. Prices uh, go up uh, on the value chain. You know that housing stock becomes more heterogeneous. So. Right. Okay. Yeah. No. I, I think uh, you know where 
where the aggregators can potentially uh, gain too much power through our data. A lot of brokers have a very various opinions about that, but you are right. It is it is kind of a love hate relationship where we make a lot of revenue off these aggregators as well. So kind of you know one hand definitely holds the other. So uh, like we're running out of time. I have one more quick question. This is a, a fun question. I know you're a skier. Uh, I'm a hardcore snowboarder. Uh, what's your favorite uh, mountain to ski in? I'm, I'm assuming it might be Whistler because it's right there for you, but you can't really cross the border right now. Uh, but tell me one or well, a couple mountains that you like and why. Uh, my favorite mountain all time is Jackson Hole. Oh, love uh, it. <laughs> uh, we actually, the last ski trip that we did as a family, my entire family are big skiers. Yeah. And so the last ski trip that we did was to Jackson in February. Okay. And loved it. Had a great time. Uh, I hope we get a. I hope we have a compass office there soon. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. Actually, we're we're about to go to uh, Crested Butte in Colorado um, okay. uh, and spend spend some time there uh, over uh, the next few weeks. And so I'm, I'm looking forward. To that. Uh, but I would say my favorite mountains are um, uh, Jackson, uh, uh, Alta, Snowbird. Telluride, um, uh, not necessarily in that order. Jackson's number one. I'm not <laughs> sure between the, uh, probably Telluride number two right now. Um, okay. But I haven't skied Crested Butte yet, so so we'll see how that compares. Okay, good. Crested Butte is a, a Vail Mountain uh, Vail owned resort, and uh, it, it's it's nice. It's steep. Uh, hopefully, the snow is good uh, when you get there. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a, it's a it's definitely a nice uh, nice little town to uh, be part of as well. So. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure having you on. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, listeners, thank you always for listening to the Real Talk podcast. Thank you very much, Tuck. It's been great speaking with you. Really appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Greg. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye, Tuck. Bye-bye.